Welcome to Voices of the Valleys, a series interviewing growers, entrepreneurs, educators, and technologists who are inventing new solutions for today's and tomorrow's challenges on the farm. Brought to you today by Harvestport, an innovation hub and marketplace for better agricultural products, practices, and ideas. Find out more at harvestport.com. Now, here's your Voices of the Valley's host, Director of Western Growers Center for Innovation and Technology, Dennis Donahue. Good morning, and welcome, welcome to uh, another edition of Voices in the in the Valleys. And this is uh, Dennis Donahue, and uh, and we're recording uh, this during uh, obviously a uh, very challenging moment uh, in in American history and indeed throughout the world. And uh, with that backdrop in mind of the of the pandemic issue, we wanted to talk about innovation and innovation in challenging times. And so I have a uh, I have a special guest, Rodrigo Nieto Gomes, who's a who who happens to be an old friend, but more importantly and particularly germane to this moment, uh, he's a professor at the Naval Postgraduate School, uh, and he uh, has written an article that I think is particularly important for this moment, but also helps maybe inform how we think about innovation on a go-forward basis. So, Rodrigo, welcome. Thanks for joining us and and I'm going to let you elaborate a little bit more fully on your on your background and what you do because it's going to play in a little bit to our conversation as we continue to talk. Thank you so much Dennis and thank you for your invitation. Yeah, so I am a professor at the Naval Postgraduate School in Monterey, California. I teach both at the National Security Affairs Department and at the Center for Homeland Defense and Security. Um, in in a former life, I, I used to be a, a NAFTA lawyer. I worked a lot with uh, North American companies. I, I, I studied in Mexico where I was uh, uh, born and raised. As I worked as an NAFTA lawyer, uh, this was 2004, 5, 6, I started to get more and more interested on this new thing called Homeland Security. And that's how I ended up becoming, uh, making my master's and PhD in security studies and geopolitics. Uh, I work a lot on innovation theory and the intersection between crisis, homeland security, policy, and technological innovation. That's kind of my my area of expertise. So, so you actually work for the U.S. Department of Defense? I do. I'm a Fed. Yeah. So I I I, I am one of the ones. Uh, who are still working right now? So okay, so that makes us that makes this a more official interview than than I've done to date. So anyway, welcome and glad you're here. And what what caught my attention um, was uh, an article you just published called "Innovating to Zero COVID-19," and and in particular was you know, and as we chat about it, you, you know, we've talked about this that there is now an expectation that. Uh, uh, that we need unprecedented results in unprecedented time. And, and you talked about how you apply innovation systems thinking to, to, make, to make that happen. So the first thing I'd like you to do is just talk about that article and the situation that we're all dealing with, and then, and then we'll kind of carry it over to, uh, to AG. Yeah, what interesting time, huh? So what an interesting time. We would be having a very different conversation three or four weeks ago to the one that we will be having today. And that's precisely the point, right? So we are in a moment in our history where uh, we need a global collective effort, right? We we probably since Second World War, we haven't seen a time and a challenge that has uh, required uh, for humanity to mobilize all together 
uh, to meet uh, the challenges that we're confronting. And in that article, I, I presented a very quick uh, analysis of what I thought are imp the important sequencing that we have to follow in order to get out of this mess. Right. And 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 uh, this matters because we know that we need to innovate. We need we know that we have to socially isolate. We know that there are many things that are required from us. But that from a strategic point of view, it's very important to understand that certain things have to happen in a certain order before we can get out of this mess. Many of those, by the way, have a very strong relation with the ag business, as we will discuss a little bit later. So, uh, yeah, that, that's 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 what was the, the, the motivation be, behind that article. And, and you talked about, you know, there there were four steps. Obviously, there's some mitigation things that are going on. But but at the end of the day, you know, you wanted to make the point that the ultimate way home in this particular issue is how do you get a vaccine? Correct. And I think we all know new vaccines, new drugs, et cetera, typically have a much longer timeline to development. And then, you know, that the public will have or we as a society have the ability to wait. And you kind of laid out four steps. And, and one of the things that I was struck by is you talked about step one is you have to intervene, but you have to know where to intervene. Mm -hmm. and, th and then you have to begin the testing cycle and then you have to get to a product. So t talk talk a little bit of, a little bit about that in terms of systems thinking, you know, yeah. jump at the right spot. Yeah. So so uh, in in business, as many people who are listening to us right now know, it, it's not enough just to do things. You have to do them in a cer certain order, right? So so the same applies here. So the first step out of four steps that we need to get out of this mess is what we call aggressive uh, non-pharmaceutical interventions, right? So the, the epidemiologists call that NPIs, NPIs, no pharmaceutical interventions. And these are the low-hanging fruit of the responses. When you, sell, when you isolate yourself from your family, which is painful, or when you close a business and forego that revenue, you are performing non-pharmaceutical interventions. These actions are the first line of defense because you can deploy them without any innovation, research, and development needed. So every time that we stay at home and we cut the legs of the virus, every time that we uh, do things in our power that are very painful uh, for society that don't require new technologies, those are NPIs. And non-pharmaceutical interventions matter because it's as we deploy them first, they buy us time to the next steps. So the next step here after non-pharmaceutical non non interventions would be regular testing, right? So we're seeing a unprecedented effort in the world right now to ramp up a supply chain for COVID-19 testing capabilities. And this goes in two directions. One is the creation of new tests. Uh, so tests that were not available before, we're seeing that the, at, the, at the very beginning of the of the outbreak, uh, the average result would come days later, right? More than a week later after you were uh, tested. Uh, today, uh, certain new technologies can provide a result, a positive result in less than five minutes and a negative result in uh, 12. So that means that in less than two weeks, we went from a very old fashioned way of doing tests because we didn't know what we were dealing with to now uh, uh, the pharmaceutical in industry coming up with a response. Well, we need to go beyond that. So if the first step is this world we live in, you and I right now, where we cannot be in the same studio at the same time, the second step is going to be regular testing, uh, where in an ideal world, you would do this the same way that a diabetic checks his or her uh, insulin levels every day, if, even multiple times a day. 
Uh, you can imagine, and there are already startups working in this field where uh, you could have toilets that could perform the text directly from your urine or toilet attachments. So you don't even have to uh, make the test. You would Every time that you go to the bathroom, uh, you would have a result, right? So this kind of super aggressive testing that feels almost dystopian, right? You might remember the movie Gattaca, right? But well, uh, it's needed because if, if I know, if I just tested myself and I know that I'm healthy and you tested yourself and you know that you're healthy, we can have a nice cup of coffee or we can have a play date with our kids or we can go to have a nice meal in a restaurant. Once that happens, uh, we can get out of MPIs, right? Non-pharmaceutical interventions. But until that happens, until we ramp up this testing element, we're kind of going to see uh, the need to keep people separated from each other. So there's testing and then and then there's the ultimate in game of a, of a vaccine that also needs to be accelerated. But it but it sounds like the potential solution, so to speak, on a wholesale basis is the ability to really secure reliable testing uh, mechanisms and that sort of thing. And again, testing would buy us time for the next step. And there's a step between testing and the vaccine. That's uh, uh, public health uh, breakthroughs. Um, so we've heard a lot of debates, even politically, about certain potential anti-malaria drugs. So there is a, a, a an, another two or three candidates that at least in in vitro, uh, in vitro testing have provided a positive results against COVID-19. So you can imagine that two or three months ago, we didn't know this virus. We had never fought it and we had no idea of what it could do. As time passes, especially if we keep self-isolating ourselves, doctors in the emergency rooms are experimenting, they're learning, they're seeing treatments, they're, the epidemiologists are trying to study it, geneticists are analyzing the RNA of the virus. And the more they do that, the more we might be able to tailor either existing drugs for a better treatment or develop new drugs, right? So, and the advantage of a better treatment is that unlike the vaccine, you don't have to scale it to the no, to billions, right? If you can produce hundreds of thousands of units for a good treatment, we can imagine a world a little bit like today, if you have a bacterial infection, it's not pleasant, but because we have antibiotics, you go to the doctor, you get a round of antibiotics, and you know that a, a disease that would have killed you in the 19th century or the 18th century, today is, it's, I don't want to say banal, but at least not as, as bad. Right. So um, this testing time, so so the social distancing and non-pharmaceutical interventions, regular testing, then the next element will be some kind of breakthroughs uh, in, in treatment. After that, the holy grail of this whole path is the vaccine. The moment we or you and I go to our doctor and get that injection, it'll feel like uh, the heavens are opening. I mean, it'll be a miraculous moment in history, but we might be a few a few months, probably a year away from that moment. So in the meantime, the other three stepping stones are gonna be really important. Well, so so take what we just discussed and then, and then just apply that to kind of your background and your observation and some of the conversations we've had about, you know, ag tech entrepreneurship and, uh, you know, the food safety issue. Um, is this methodology of systems thinking, you know, that's not necessarily how everybody's approached the entrepreneurial game. A lot, 
You know, as growers like to say, how come people keep bringing me solutions for problems I didn't know I had? And, you know, you can't help but thinking in an entrepreneurial environment on a go forward basis, people are certainly wondering what growers are thinking about, you know, beyond cost and, you know, whatever financial considerations they have, what you're meti now. So all of a sudden they're very subjected to kind of, kind of that fierce, uh, Uh, you know, the fierce tyranny of now mentality. So how does innovation fit into all of that? And do entrepreneurs need to make sure they adopt this type of type of approach? Because I have a difficult time believing people are going to have a disposition to uh, be as experimental unless they're convinced it needs either a cost, need or a necessity. Yeah, so uh, a good entrepreneur is a person that sees in the problems of today, uh, the markets of tomorrow, right? So, uh, but that means being good at it, and not all of us are. And this is one of the biggest challenges in the innovation game: is how do you understand, uh, how do you define a problem, and then how do you go and find a solution? Uh, if you if you see people like Elon Musk, Bill Gates, uh, they will often spend 90% of a, a stockholder call uh, describing all the challenges and, and and pitfalls of something, only to then provide a solution. That means that they have thought about the system, they understood uh, all of the elements, and only then deployed a solution for them. In this case, it's very easy. We want a vaccine, right? So that's that's the ultimate goal. But even in this guy just cited Bill, Bill Gates. Um, he has decided uh, out of his money from his foundation that he's going to be spending the money to create three or four supply chains and factories for the vaccine before we know what the vaccine would look like. And he's doing this because uh, there are many different ways of making vaccines, and we don't know which one is the one that will ultimately prove to be successful. So if we wait until the laboratories know what the vaccine would look like, then you would have to spend a month, two months, three months building that supply chain and that uh, manufacturing capability. What he's saying is, look, there are five ways of making vaccines. Uh, let's make factories for those five. We'll throw to the trash the equipment for four of them once we know which one is the one that works. And that's the one. I mean, that's that's thinking strategically, right? So he has under he had understood that whatever whatever the research answer ends up being, right? We know that there's only five, six, seven ways of making something, and he's preparing the field, uh, no pun intended, uh, for for all of them. That's thinking strategically. That's the kind of uh, a vision that we need, and this is the kind of things that we have to be seeing right now. Our industry is being, uh, your, your industry, the ag industry is being impacted by this change like many others. Some people will understand what the challenge looks like and will modify and thrive. Some others might perish in that process. Well, you and I have had a lot of conversations about, uh, you know, that that our industry on a go-forward basis, uh, obviously there have been a lot of conversations about traceability, and we've had a, an increasing interest in rapid diagnostics, immediate detection. Yeah. Is, is there an opportunity for our industry here to, uh, I, I don't like the phrase, take advantage of the situation, but uh, are there going to be some crossover opportunities? And then the follow-up question is, because I know you are familiar with these discussions about food safety, and you spend a lot of time thinking about food security based on what you currently do, how does the post-COVID world affect our 
our industry and what should we be thinking about in the ag sector? Those are great questions, right? And we'll see where what the answers are with time. But we, we can anticipate, again, from a system thinking perspective, we can anticipate certain things, right? So we know that in the if, if you think of future thinking in multiple time horizons, right? In, in, the, in the time horizon of months, we know that non-pharmaceutical interventions are going to be here to stay for a while, even though maybe by June, July, we might be coming back to some sense of normalcy. We can expect, for example, to be still mandated or required to wear face masks. We can imagine that public gatherings of more than a certain number will be still uh, not authorized. And we can imagine uh, rolling uh, curfews, if you will, every time that a new outbreak starts to starts to uh, emerge. So regular testing is going to be very important in our lives. So, so uh, something that didn't used to be a priority, as I said, I mean, mostly diabetics, uh, people with hypertension. So we know of certain kinds of individuals that because of some chronic uh, conditions uh, regularly test their biological selves. Uh, some of us wear Fitbits or Apple watches, and those uh, tell you uh, how many steps you gave per day, your pulse. We call that the quantifiable self, right? So it used to be gimmicky, right? It's one of those things that, that techies might use. Well, now it has become essential, right? So, so quantifying your immune system is going to be uh, really important. And also tracking the presence of virus and bacteria, it's going to be much more of a priority. And the ag sector, you might not think of it like that, but from a homeland security perspective, you are you are what we call a critical sector, right? One of the 16, depending how you count, because there's something, but one of the few sectors that we consider essential for the existence of the United States of America. And that means that you are part of the biotech security environment of the country. And if right now, I mean, our biggest or worst case scenarios were E. coli outbreaks because some kind of romaine or lettuce somewhere, well, that's nothing compared to what we're looking at right now, right? So uh, the world will look very differently. The tolerance of the public for uh, uh, infectious disease being communicated through their supply chains is going to be a lot lower. Uh, it's, It's now common thing in many households in America that after you order your groceries online, uh, you spend half an hour uh, with soap or disinfectant cleaning the containers before you let them into your house. This is going to leave a mark. And if the industry doesn't adapt to a world that A, is developing more science and technology for regular testing, but B, has higher expectations that I will not get sick, because the question that the next person who gets sick from E. coli is going to ask is not, oh, is E. coli good or bad? Is well, if I got sick with E. coli, uh, could this have been COVID-19? Now, there are many differences, right? And it's an, almost an unfair question. But who said that customers have to be fair? They're paying, right? So. Right. Well, so obviously in terms of framing the future and so regular testing, uh, we, we do know that those who are adapting and pivoting in the food service sector are uh, increasing, you know, store door deliveries, uh, you know, the Amazons and world. So, so we know the supply chain is going to continue to involve and that'll, and that, that'll be a leave behind of, of, of all of this. Uh, but let, let's go back to, uh, you know, any, any number of crops or poultry, you know, 
the, the whole foodborne illness, even though there's going to be a big picture, business, as you know, in the end, you know, gets gets very specific. So if you're in our industry, would your expectation be that some of these new tools, these new products, are they going to be more entrepreneurial in nature or should we be starting to talk to the Abbott Laboratories a lot more seriously? Well, you know, we probably sure. should. Yes, I'm sure it's both. But what what's your take on all that? No, but that that's a great point. So so uh, you said it before. Don't let a crisis go to waste, right? So famously, recently it was Raham Emanuel who who said it when he was chief of the staff of President Obama. Before that, I have heard people saying that it was originally from Cicero. I, I don't know, but it, it is true, right? So entrepreneurs immediately will see an opportunity and will run with it. And one thing that we know about disruptive innovation, and this is what is happening is that it resets the field, the playing field. So um, once an incumbent is too big, it's too hard to take an incumbent using the same rules that make him the dominant player. Right? And this is why you end up with monopolies or big industries or industry consolidation. But when, when a thing like this happens, suddenly the rules that made the incumbent, the incumbent no longer apply. So for example, my, uh, you, you mentioned that some restaurants that used to be very successful, might be going broke because people cannot go and buy food there. But an industry like Blue Apron, the company that sources uh, ingredients and makes the portions and then you can cook it at home, saw a 10x increase in their business in the last uh, three weeks. So you, you can see how for them, whoever is part of that supply chain that can go directly to the customer that bypasses anything that the customer perceives as a risk, they have a lot to gain, right? And and those who can't uh, will be the opposite. You can imagine for the field it's speci- specifically that more and more people are going to be asking for some cert- some some element of certainty. So how does social separation works in the strawberry fields? How do you make sure that a COVID nineteen uh, uh, worker doesn't force you to discard? Uh, the totality of a of an acre of, of or two acre of production. These are relevant questions, right? We just saw it uh, three years ago that a woman was coughing was coughing on a Safeway on purpose, and Safeway had to discard uh, I think uh, six thousand dollars of produce or something like that. Uh, now imagine that at the scale of a farm, and these are real questions that will open doors for those who can respond to them and might mean bankruptcy to those who can't. So it's, a, it's an important time. Besides, the, and those and those are important examples that, that you know, as, as producers, uh, there is going to have to be some thought about the, whether it's changing social mores, uh, uh, supply chain, the impact on data, daily uh, testing. You know, we've often talked, you know, pre-pandemic about, you know, because we have an interest in rapid diagnostics, immediate detection, and as you, you yourself said, our industry is deemed as one of the 16 uh, essential industries that makes the United States what it is. And we've, we've talked about uh, DARPA and where a lot of the R&D dollars might reside if you had to accelerate things. Does the fact our industry has to deal with these things and we have challenges, as you said, we, you know, prior to this, we might have been giving a lot of thought to E. coli, salmonella, et cetera, but does, does our industry serve as a potential petri dish 
uh, to kind of run the commercial trap line for figuring some of these things out. Yeah. So so uh, one of the things that has happened is that the value proposition of many things have been modified, right? So whereas before in a pre-COVID-19 world, in a pre-pandemic world, not that we didn't have pandemics before, but in the modern in modern times in Second World War, um, the priority was in other places. And now those priorities are shifting. They're shifting for the customer, but they're also shifting for governments. I don't want to sound doom and gloom, right? I don't like to do that. But in many ways, this is the dress rehearsal for a real man-made bio attack. And that bio attack might have only a few vectors possible. Some of them are public gatherings. The other is the food supply chain. So this, this... situation that we're experiencing right now, it's not going to be the last one and it might not even be the worst one. Hopefully that is the case. But uh, at this point, we will not have the luxury anymore of ignoring the importance of uh, rapid detection and rapid response. Uh, What that looks like? Well, it depends on the industry and it also will depend on the science and technology that gets to be developed. I just mentioned that in less than a month, we went from 20 days or 15 days testing to five minutes, right? So that's a that's a two order of magnitude shift in the quality of tests. But you know what that speaks to? It's at some level the the technology is there, either the interest or the the willingness, need, or desire to organize it. Uh, just wasn't there for whatever reason. So it might not be that the technology is there. It might not be there, but there was no signal from the market that said to entrepreneurs that it is desirable. Once that signal was sent, uh, entrepreneurs immediately pivoted and adapted. And this is, by the way, something that it's very important for innovation centers. Uh, it's, It's very important that they work to send those signals, right? And those signals are sent in many ways. In this case, I mean, it's very clear. We need it because we're dying, if not. Uh, but we also are send the send the signal by saying we'll buy it, right? Whatever laboratory who can come up with a home test, and there's already one available. Although right now it's going all for for uh, uh, first responders, but a, a lab that would sell a test that you can apply at home and it costs a hundred bucks, right now would make a lot of money, right? A lot of people would be willing to buy that test. Four weeks ago, maybe not so much. So the signal has been sent. Uh, and again, some entrepreneurs will capitalize it. Let's close with what advice would you have for the entrepreneurial class at this moment? And then what advice would you have for growers and ag to be thinking about at this moment? Yeah, and, and it's interesting that you frame it that way. I don't know if it's separate advice or not, but uh, I, I would say that uh, one of my favorite quotes uh, by General Eric uh, Shinseki is that if you don't like change, you're going to like your relevance even less. Uh, and I would say to, to any established industry uh, that this might be a Kodak moment, right? The same way Kodak was killed by the digital camera. There is a there is a change in the world. And forget about organic produce. If you can give me a label that says COVID-19 free, uh, I, I'll take it. But can you really warranty that that's the case? Can you really make that claim? So whoever can do it first, if it's possible, uh, has a great business opportunity in his or her hands. So there is an opportunity here. Uh, we have to adapt. We have no 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 alternative. The, the, the change has been uh, imposed on us. 
by by mother nature in this case. Uh, for entrepreneurs, I would say this is the moment where you you better make sure that you understand the ag business. And if you don't, get close to the people who are feeding America and feeding the world and make sure that you understand their processes. Because in each of those elements of those processes, of those systems, there might be a fracture points of risk of, in this case, COVID-19, but in general, bacterial or viral risks and the opportunities to make a change will come for those who know how to harness. Those are great, great responses. And, uh, you know, I am, am appreciative of, I, I know you're, you're uh, dealing with a young family and the online classes and all that that entails. So thanks very much for uh, making some time and uh, sharing uh, uh, your thoughts on innovation in this uh, in challenging times. We appreciate it. And this has been uh, another edition of Voices of the Valley, and we will be back next week. Thanks for listening to the Voices of the Valley's podcast, brought to you today by Harvestport, an innovation hub and marketplace for better agricultural products, practices, and ideas. Find out more at harvestport.com.